CTV's W5 with Avery Haynes. Hundreds of thousands of Canadians come here every year. But this is not a story about these beautiful beaches or the all-inclusive resorts. This is a story about this country's drug pipeline, about the discovery of hundreds of kilos of cocaine that was destined for Toronto, and about 12 accused Canadians who have spent months trapped on a tropical island that feels less like heaven and more like hell. It's no wonder the Dominican Republic is the hottest tourist destination in the Caribbean. With its white sand and turquoise water, the resort town of Punta Cana is the island's crown jewel. But not everything that happens here is postcard perfect. We're driving to a villa in one of the most exclusive and secure resorts on the island. It's a dream destination for most, but a nightmare safe house for a Canadian airline crew that has been trapped here for more than seven months. This will give you a sense of just how fearful this crew is all these months later. They've been shuffled from safe house to safe house. They have 24-hour uh, armed guards, and they wouldn't even give us the exact location of the house that they're now living in until we landed in Dominican Republic. We've come here to try to get to the bottom of a blockbuster crime. Good morning. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Alex, nice to meet you. Alex Avery, good to meet you. A crime that the airline crew has become deeply embroiled in. I just want to go home. I'm tired of being afraid, scared. I'm suffering. We are all suffering. A crime they have been accused of as well. I have no words. The most hardest thing I've ever went through. The pain, the ordeal is real. It's very real. This day marks 217 days of their detention in the Dominican. And it marks the first time they've invited a journalist into the guarded safe house provided by their employer, Pivot Airlines. Rob DiVinanzo is the pilot. I look around and I see this uh, beautiful villa. I see the sun and the sand. It's paradise. It's paradise in another lifetime, not now. I feel like we're, we're, we're trapped in a cage here. I'm constantly looking over my shoulder, worried about my safety. I'm worried about my family's safety back in Canada. Worried about safety because depending on who you believe, they are either whistleblowers who disrupted a massive shipment of cocaine that was headed for Toronto, or they are part of an international drug syndicate. April 5th, 2022. The crew was doing their final checks before takeoff from Punta Cana Airport, destination Toronto. At what point was the realization made that there's something on this plane that shouldn't be on there? Myself and my first officer were doing our final pre-flight checks. As we were sitting there, we had a master caution light that came on the airplane to show that our avionics bay door had opened up, which we thought was strange because nobody really goes in there. 
the avionics bay is where the computer systems are housed. Essentially, it's the brain of the plane. And this is key. That compartment has no lock. So it opens, and you pop your head in, and you see there's a bag in there. What did it look yeah. like? So it looked like a black hockey bag, and it had yellow string on top of it. Pivot Airlines notified the RCMP and Dominican authorities almost immediately. This is the tech's co-pilot, Atif Safter, sent his wife, telling her his flight would be delayed and showing her the bag that was found. The crew took pictures and video as airport authorities inspected the avionics bay. And then flight attendant Christine Carello messaged a friend that more bags had been found. And I can remember texting my boss and saying, my gosh, there's two bags. And then it was three, and then it was four, and we just could not believe it. Having that many bags in that small area, we really <laughs> averted an air disaster. There is no doubt in my mind. I, I think that had we got airborne or attempted to get airborne, we would have been in trouble. It could have crashed the plane. It could have crashed, for sure. They're not aviation professionals who did this. They don't know what they're doing. You know, they're jamming bags up in there with control cables and threats of fires, and oh, it, it just, it would have been a literal disaster. Christina sent another message, describing the scene as like a movie. These seven Canadians who were on board the chartered plane were asked to disembark. So they took the four bags and they put them on a cart and they took them away. And they said, okay, you're good, you can cl close the avionics bay door. So we thought we were going home, that's the end of it. So one of our crew members went to close the door and they couldn't close it because there were more bags up in the front. So we had to call them back and tell them to come back. So it's all very suspicious. An astounding claim that Dominican authorities either missed or chose to miss an extra four large duffel bags stuffed in the avionics bay. Rob says he initially thought maybe it was a bomb and couldn't believe it when the eight bags were unzipped, revealing hundreds of kilos of cocaine. You are in charge of that plane. Mm -hmm. You are responsible for those passengers right. and your crew. Right. And you're watching 210 kilos of cocaine being pulled out of the belly of your plane. Yeah, it was horrifying. It really was horrifying. Seeing all those bags come out was absolutely horrifying. But there was relief, too. A potential air disaster was averted. A cocaine shipment worth tens of millions of dollars destined for Toronto was disrupted. The crew thought they would be celebrated as heroes, but it was at this moment when flight attendant Alex Rozov realized just how wrong they were. I was watching this particular guard walking back and forth and connecting the links of the zip ties. And he was stashing them in his back pocket and I counted, it was exact amount for all of us, crew members. You're doing this a horrifying tally and recognizing mm -hmm. where there's a zip tie for each of us, that's when you realize yeah, that? Yeah, that's absolutely, that's what came to my mind that, oh wow, what, where, what, what's next, where are we going? Where they were going? Here, jail. Agencias de inteligencia incautaron 200 paquetes, presumiblemente cocaína, with bricks of cocaine on one side and a tactical officer on the other, the official announcement claimed that it was Dominican authorities who discovered the drugs, 
not the crew. Los agentes antinarcóticos acompañados de fiscales de esa demarcación, atendiendo a informes de inteligencia, procedieron a realizar una inspección al avión matrícula. It feels like you just stop breathing and you just like in that moment of like holding a breath and then you don't know what's going to happen. In this local news report, you can make out some of the 12 Canadians being marched into prison. The four female passengers and flight attendant Christina were then transferred to a women's prison. She just grabbed my hand and she said, don't let it go. And she, she was crying. Yeah, it was horrific, very, very hard. People were breaking into tears and, uh, you know, staring at that uh, metal door, no window, constant heat, uh, humidity and no air. The male crew members were kept here at this notoriously overcrowded detention center. The cell so packed they couldn't even lie down. They say they were denied food and water for days. And that every sweat-soaked second was filled with fear, degradation, humiliation, and threats. One day an inmate forced the crew to the front of the cell. And he was pointing, it was a dead body laying down outside in the yard. He was pointing and telling us, you'll be next if you're not gonna pay, you will be next. Atif Safdar is the co-pilot. They would show us the pictures and the news of our own plane and tell us you guys belong to something, so you need to give us money or else we will, we will kill you. After nine terror-filled days, the airline crew was released on bail. Wow. And all I could think about was I was going to see my, I was going to talk to my family, you know. Oh, it's terrible. So we ended up getting out, which was great. But, you know, really, we thought we were going to be going home. And that was seven months ago. Yeah. Bail is not freedom. Their names are on a no-fly list. They have no passports. And they're banned from leaving the island. They now live in a new kind of prison. We were told early on that there are people out there that want you dead. They want you dead for what you did, what you found, and what you reported. We have two security guards with us with guns all the time. It's absolute hell. There is no doubt that the justice system in this country is vastly different than the justice system back in Canada. Here they can hold you for up to a year just based on an accusation with no charges being laid. And so we have been really relentless in trying to get some answers from the district attorney, from the prosecutor, on where their investigation stands since the 12 Canadians were detained in April. But no one here is talking. And this is shocking. More than seven months after their detention, none of them have even been questioned by the police. No, not a single time. Yeah. That's... Uh... It's ridiculous. I mean, we haven't even been able to tell our story. Yet they keep us here for seven months, potentially 12 months. But there has been no interrogation, no questioning. In fact, the only court proceedings in all that time have been instigated by the prosecutor who's trying to revoke their bail. You could be sent back to jail 
God forbid if we will go back there, I don't think we're going to come out alive. Like we're not, there's no way. You think if you get sent back in there, you're not getting out? Absolutely. No doubt. Coming up. We want to go home. We want to go home. Trapped in paradise and feeling forgotten. I'm sick of words. They need to get us out of here. When W5 continues. It's court day for the Pivot Airlines crew. The drive is tense and quiet through areas rarely visited by willing tourists to the Dominican Republic. The crew has been trapped in this country since they discovered and reported 210 kilos of cocaine in their plane more than seven months ago. This is their fifth court appearance, each time to argue why they should not be sent back to jail. It's not just the crew who are embroiled in this ordeal. Seven Canadian passengers have also been jailed and then barred from leaving the island. Not one of them has ever told their story publicly, until now. This isn't just a story, this is our real life. And we don't have bodyguards and drivers, we can't afford that like the crew can. There are some serious, powerful people out there and we don't want to put our lives at jeopardy. Yeah. Brittany Wojcik Harrison is a fashion photographer who lives in Vancouver. Our families have had to take out loans, start lines of credit and just do anything that they can to help us. Yeah, we want to go home. We want to go home. Rania Aldea recently finished a real estate course in Edmonton, said goodbye to her teenage son for what she thought was a short adventure on a private charter to the Dominican Republic. So you haven't seen your son for more than seven months? Yeah, 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 I just missed his 16th birthday, yeah. This is, this is hurting us in so many different ways. It's hurt relationships, it's hurt our lives. I mean, what more do you want? You're gonna suck the life out of us. I don't know what they want. I don't know what they want. There's nothing left. There's nothing left. Both women say they know nothing about how the drugs got on the plane. Do you guys think that you were drug mules? No, 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 no. no. Maybe the airplane was a drug mule itself, but I don't think we were actually, we were drug mules or targeted as drug mules. I think the aircraft could have been. That's a possibility. Well, definitely, because it was obviously on there, yeah. Unlike the crew, who was released on bail in nine days, Rania and Brittany say they spent three weeks at this women's facility. The noise, it was very noisy. It has now been shut down, but we managed to sneak in and take this video. Oh, the blue walls. I'll never forget the blue walls. Imagine 12, sometimes more, women jammed into this one cell. It's just like this overwhelming sense of like hopelessness that we felt being in there. And it's just engulfing me right now. <laughs> 
you cried, they would make you stand there for hours no, and say, up. no sitting down because we want to teach you how to be strong. If your bail is revoked and you get sent back to a jail, it obviously won't be here, no. where would you go? There's another female, uh, a woman's facility. You all were sent some pretty dire warnings about what life would be like for you oh, if yeah. you went to that jail. Yeah, uh, because we're white stories, yeah. or light-skinned or blonde, we're mm -hmm. foreigners, our face will be cut. They're going to throw acid on our face. Hot oil. Um, hot oil. Yeah. yeah. Pivot flight attendant Alex, revisiting the men's prison, is equally consumed by fears of being sent back. Oh my God, I see the guard. That man over there, he was in, he's a boss actually. He's the boss of the, of, the, of the prison. He have a nickname you would not believe. They're calling him uh, Bin Laden. This guy right there bald, in the, the bald man. Yeah, bald man in a uniform. Alex can barely bring himself to look into the yard. You're outside the prison walls, but your security guy is just over here. You're still in prison in this country. Yeah, I don't feel myself free at all. And that freedom is once again up for debate in this courtroom. Not one of the 12 Canadians has been charged since being arrested. And for the first time ever, W5 can show proof that they did not physically put those drugs on that plane. It is video evidence that the district attorney has known about for four months. And it's evidence that was uncovered by one of the Pivot Airlines flight attendants. Christina decides that she's going to go onto the computer and look at the, some of the video evidence that's been presented by the prosecution. And she has this eureka moment. She was like, I found something, I found something. So we all went over to where she'd been sitting for hours on the computer. The Pivot airplane is the airplane that's up in the right-hand corner, second from the right. Rob takes us minute by minute through this surveillance video of Punta Cana Airport. It's from the night before 210 kilos of cocaine were discovered on the Pivot Airlines jet. On first blush, it's not very interesting. So there we see the truck going by. Right. That looks completely innocuous. It doesn't does. even go up near the, near the Pivot Air no. flight. No. But keep your eye on the timestamp in the top left corner. It's 3.26 in the morning. And there it skipped to 4.09. Okay, wait, so it went from 3.26 to 4.09. Yeah, it's crazy. 43 minutes edited out of the surveillance video. But whoever did that edit forgot to do the same to a second video from a different angle that Christina found in a buried and misnamed video file. This is what was cut out. If you look to the upper left, you can start to see some lights on the road. So that is what turns out to be some sort of airport vehicle. 3.32 a.m., shadows appear by the plane. You can see the silhouettes, you can see the black bags right by the nose gear. Over the next 25 minutes, the black bags start piling up. And as time progresses here, you'll see more and more, you'll see some bags that are standing upright as well. Then at 3.59, they're loaded onto the plane. And yeah. then you see them disappearing. Exactly, and they're gone. See, they're gone. So now. now the bags are all gone. They're all loaded up, yeah, at 4 a.m., yeah. Do you have any idea when this was edited and by whom? No, we don't. This was evidence that was provided to our legal team by the prosecutor's office. So we can assume that it was edited, you know, sometime between the airport providing it or 
the drug police or the prosecutor. So somebody within that group edited this, hoping that we would see what actually happened. The crew thought for sure that this was the evidence needed to set them free. And that's because these security pictures show they only left their hotel in the morning during checkout. Similar evidence shows the passengers were in their hotel all night as well. We were thrilled. There's the proof that it's not us and we're still here. And that video evidence at this point means nothing. Means nothing because the prosecutor keeps fighting to have them put back in jail. The last four hearings have been delayed because interpreters didn't show up. And now at the fifth hearing, the prosecutor is a no-show. Out in the hallway, the crew finds out their case has yet again been delayed. Our morale is low to begin with, and I just can't imagine what the next few days are going to be again for us. It's, it's quite tough. Dejected, the crew heads back to their villa. As unfortunate as it is, I think I'm starting to get to the point where I'm losing hope. I just don't feel like we have the support back home from our government either. There's no way of knowing what's happening behind the scenes in Canada, but the crew and the passengers say they feel forgotten and abandoned by the Canadian government. When they were 64 days into their detainment, the crew made this public appeal. Mr. Prime Minister, we need your help to get us home. We did our job by reporting these drugs and saved Canadians' lives. Now we need you to do yours. It was released during the Summit of America's gathering in California, when Prime Minister Trudeau met with the President of the Dominican Republic. The banter between the two leaders didn't offer the crew much hope. We hope that the Prime Minister goes on vacation there um, uh, soon. It'll be fun to return. I've been yes. many times in yes. the past. In a statement, the Prime Minister said he raised the issue of the detained Canadians and was given assurances that the rule of law will be followed. More than 150 days have passed since those assurances and still no action. I'm not sure how the Canadian government can allow five airline crew members who did the right thing to sit here and die a slow death every day and not do anything about it. I'm sick of words. They need to get us out of here. As we've been told in the embassy earlier, if you would have been American citizens, maybe things would have been maybe different for you. Maybe you would have been already home. The Canadian embassy yeah. officials told you it's yeah. too bad you're not American because the oh, Americans would get you out? Yeah. As the days morph to weeks, then to months, the mood in this gilded cage gets more fractured. Everyone is keeping to themselves now, and even the faint hope of home has become painful. I don't FaceTime with my wife anymore because I cry too much, and it's, it just makes it very difficult. What happens when her image comes up on your phone? It's instant tears. She's trying to put on a brave face and she's smiling or my son is in the background and he's smiling. I just, I can't take much more of the hurt of not being there with them. BK Dubé, the aircraft mechanic who found the drugs in the avionics bay, has become a Canadian citizen in detention with his crew, not his family, by his side. That was the best moment. I would have done it in Canada with my family, but not. You have young children at home who you haven't seen for more than seven months now. I missed his birthday. I missed his first day of school. 
sorry. Christina is the only woman in the crew and the only one who speaks Spanish. It's like you have your own emotions, but you're trying to make sure everybody understands what's going on. And so each person here is doing what they can to stay sane. Alex has found an unlikely distraction. Yeah, my uh, little hobby, I guess that's how I spend my time here, tarantulas. <laughs> You're trapped here. You're making these armed guards go out while you catch wild tarantulas? In a way, yeah, you can say it's so funny, but <laughs> my uh, fellow crewmates were joking at me and sort of saying, like, how can you do that? You are yourself detained with no freedom. So when you are free, they too will be uh, freed? Of course. Coming up. In the 30 years of operating under here, that's never happened. How long has this been going on? None of this felt to you like this is a little bit shady. When W5 continues. The Dominican Republic isn't just a beautiful tropical island. It's also the first stop in the cocaine pipeline that moves drugs from Colombia through to the US and Canada. For tourists, the airport in Punta Cana is the gateway to paradise. And as it turns out, it is for narcos as well. Los aeropuertos para los capos, para el narcotráfico, está Totalmente abierto. Rafael Guerrero is an outspoken anti-corruption advocate in the Dominican Republic. And on a drive through the capital of Santo Domingo, he describes corruption at the airports as widespread. En todos los aeropuertos de la República Dominicana, en todos, están montando droga en los aviones. Pero Punta Cana es el paraíso. Punta Cana, al ser un aeropuerto privado, que los ricos llegan y nadie los revisa. Quizás el peor error que cometió la tripulación no fue decir, ahí hay droga, lo peor es que se, no solamente se perdió la droga, ya se perdió esa met, ese método, esa forma de transporte. The pilot's decision to say, look, there are drugs or there's, there are bags in this, in this airplane, it may have cut that route. Estoy seguro quizás están presos porque dañaron un negocio de mucho dinero cuando reportan esa droga. This surveillance video is clear evidence that a Punta Cana airport vehicle was involved in loading the pivot plane with drugs. Who was driving this truck? Who edited the video? Our repeated attempts to find out if Dominican authorities are even investigating have been ignored. There are many unanswered questions as well here in Canada. What plans had been made to retrieve the drugs in Toronto had those duffel bags not been found before takeoff? This plane is the same size as the one that's in Punta Cana. Yeah, it's identical. It's the CRJ200. Eric Edmondson is the CEO of Pivot Airlines, based at Toronto's Pearson Airport. You think that there are really only two options for where the drugs would have been taken off. That's uh, on the ramp outside or here in the hangar. 
Yeah, the most likely location was on the ramp outside and certainly uh, under the right conditions in, in the hangar here. Pivot's CEO says there were two unusual occurrences involving a senior ramp manager who works for Signature FBO, the company that is essentially Pivot's landlord. The first involved a phone call the night the plane was supposed to land. It was odd. They called to say, hey, I thought your airplane was supposed to come in. Isn't it here yet? Is it delayed? Um, they called our maintenance guy, which was odd as well. But why is that odd? Well, in the 30 years of operating out of here, that's, that's never happened. Generally, you know, they don't care when our aircraft come and go. It's not a scheduled flight. Uh, when it comes, it comes, and when it leaves, it leaves. But there's more. Eric Edmondson says that same signature FBO ramp manager told them there would be maintenance in the hangar the day after the plane was supposed to land. You were told that on April 6th that there was going to be work in the hangar out here, expect more people than usual in your hangar. The plane doesn't come back, obviously, because they're detained. Did that work ever happen? It never happened. So we found that to be, you know, probably the oddest thing that happened in this whole uh, Canada end. Edmondson says they were so concerned that they immediately alerted the RCMP. W5 reached out to that employee at Signature FBO. Hello. It's Avery Haynes calling from W5 in Toronto. And asked him about the strange phone calls and maintenance schedule. I can't really answer that question because that's what my company talks Signature refused to comment, so we don't know whether there's an explanation for those two incidents. There is another big mystery, and it surrounds the company that chartered the flight in the first place. They claimed to be a real estate investment firm called Trust Capital. It's not like, uh, you know, narco uh, criminal Inc. is going to charter your aircraft and say, we're going to go down to Punakan and, and run narcotics on your aircraft. They set things up so there aren't uh, questions raised, and they did it very well in this case. It looked official enough. In this first email from Trust Capital to Pivot Airlines, you can see a company logo with an office in Toronto. A man claiming to be John Strudwick, the chief financial officer, wrote that his firm wanted to fly potential clients from the US and Dubai to the Dominican Republic. How much did it cost Trust Capital to charter that plane? For that trip, it'd be about $100,000. That's a pretty hefty bill. It's a big investment. And it wasn't the only trip. Trust Capital had organized a charter to the Dominican about a month and a half before the ill-fated trip to Punta Cana. Pivot was initially told there would be 10 to 15 passengers, but in the end, there were only four. That means about $200,000 was spent on two charters to take about a dozen people to the Dominican Republic in a span of just six weeks. None of the passengers were from Dubai or the U.S. They were all Canadian. None of this felt to you like this is a little bit shady? No, not at the time. The size of the aircraft they chose was a little bit odd, but... Uh, Why do you say that? We have 50 seats and they only uh, put a few passengers on there, but the itinerary when they first started was much larger. The phone number Trust Capital used to organize the charter no longer works. The number you have called is not assigned. Please check the number and try to call. And their emails now bounce back. And this office in Toronto never existed. We did corporate record searches of Trust Capital and came up empty. This is a company that simply does not exist. 
Okay, well, let's look over here. And so producer Eric Sito and I decided to follow the money. $150,000 was sent in three separate wire transfers. The rest of the payment was made by check. This is a photograph that Trust Capital sent to Pivot to show that they had paid the $49,000. But check this out. They obscured the name of the person who's sending it, so we're not going to get anything from the check. Well, we had a lot more luck with these payments, these wire transfers. There were three wire payments made over a span of about a month and a half. And this numbered company they paid with, so we looked it up. The director here is Vic Mander out of Edmonton. So it's a BC company with a director in Edmonton. Let's see if he's on LinkedIn. Vic Mander. There he is on LinkedIn, real estate investor. We called and asked him about the wire transfers. Sorry, what? And he hung up. And then Vic Mander's LinkedIn profile disappeared. And so we headed to Edmonton to try to get answers. Hey, Vic. How are you doing? Avery Haynes from W5. Yeah. Just trying to get some sense from you about why you chartered that flight to the Dominican Republic. Sorry? Why you chartered that flight to the Dominican Republic. What do you mean? Well, I know that your company yeah. spent 150000 chartering that flight to the Dominican Republic, and I'm just wondering why. Sorry, I got a, I got a couple of meetings to go with, so... We're about to put a documentary on air naming you and your company, and I'm just wondering... <clears throat> Vic Mander had nothing to say about why his numbered company in British Columbia would pay to fly what Trust Capital claimed were foreign real estate investors on a charter that was very close to returning to Canada with hundreds of kilos of cocaine. And this luxury villa in the Dominican, our research suggests that Vic Mander was involved in booking it. So what, if anything, did the passengers know? Rahal Nanda is the Canadian lawyer representing them. How do these seven know each other? They were friends from back home. Everybody was a friend from back home just coming on a vacation here. And that's, that's, that's what I know about all seven of them. But they flew on a charter plane. Correct. And how did that all transpire? I, I don't know how that had transpired. I never asked those questions towards the passengers of how they got the plane and how they were coming down here. I didn't ask those questions. He's been their lawyer since they were arrested months ago, but claims never to have asked who paid for their trip. They have no criminal records back in Canada. These aren't drug smugglers. These are people who came to enjoy a vacation here. Was there any text messages? Any link to any drug syndicates? Any link whatsoever with any of these passengers who've ever been charged previously in Canada with drug trafficking offenses? Nothing. But that isn't true. We did background checks on the four passengers on the first charter and on the seven passengers on the second flight. What did we find out about the people who were on flight one? So Andrew Linden on the far left there, he had a possession for the purpose of trafficking charge that was stayed in 2021. Jordan Shaycaster, possession for the purpose of trafficking conviction in 2018. And Sean Kucinich, trafficking a controlled substance conviction 2019. So three people on that first flight with a very checkered past. Cash, interestingly, was on both flights. Does he have a criminal record at all? Couldn't find anything, no. Flight two, to me, the most interesting person is Sheldon. We looked at his criminal history. So get this, possession for the purpose of trafficking conviction in 2020. And look at these text messages from Trust Capital to Pivot Airlines. They named Sheldon Poirier as an employee who headed residential development in Edmonton and Calgary. 
So Sheldon is connected to Trust Capital, which we know doesn't exist, and Trust Capital is connected to Vic because he paid for that company to send all these people to the Dominican Republic. Yeah. These are the people we need answers from, and neither one of them wants to talk to us. In fact, the most Sheldon would give us is the finger outside of court. Many of the passengers did everything they could to resist being on camera. And Brittany and Rania, who did speak to us about their plight in the DR, couldn't answer any questions about the Canada connection. They say they were told by their lawyer, Rahal, not to. We think there was wire fraud. We think there was a general fraud. You gave the RCMP all of the information that you have about Trust Capital, including the CFO, the phone numbers, the text messages, the emails. That's correct. Our assumption was that if they thought they should investigate, they would. Um, to this day, we're unaware if they have or not. You know, I hope they have. There has to be accountability on this end, and uh, I would hope that they took it seriously. So are they? When we first reached out, we were told the RCMP does not comment on investigations being conducted by other countries. We replied that we're looking for information about potential crimes committed in Canada. Their response? The RCMP does not confirm, deny, or release information pertaining to active investigations. Does it surprise you at the inaction, both of the Canadian government and of the RCMP? More so on the government side. I do think they languished three or four months unnecessarily because of the inaction of the government. You believe that your crew was stuck in on that island for three to four months longer than they should have been because of the Canadian government? I think, I think the government could have helped earlier, yes. The biggest period of disappointment came when Canada sent the mining rescue equipment to the Dominicans after the, uh, the miners were trapped. When the crew was about four months into their detention, the Dominican government requested and received help from Canada to rescue two miners who had been trapped underground for 10 days. Canada's coming to the rescue of people who are trapped in the Dominican, who are Dominican, and doing nothing to help Canadians trapped there as well. It was a slap in the face for the crew, and they, they took it very poorly, and they should have. Our repeated requests for an interview with the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Melanie Jolie, were declined. And then we were sent this statement. The government has been actively engaged in facilitating their return to Canada. Due to privacy considerations, no further information can be disclosed. It has been 219 days since the 12 Canadians were arrested. It's shortly after nine at night, when news comes in that is, by this point, almost unimaginable. Hey, thank you! <laughs> oh my God, oh my God. Coming up. Shock and happiness and bewilderment. A sudden turn leads to long-awaited news. I can't explain it. Oh my God. When W5 continues. just as they were losing the last shred of hope. I can't 
Alex Prince. Oh my God. The Pivot airline crew gets news. That Dominican authorities are dropping the case against them and the passengers. This is just something else. Just out of the blue. Shock and happiness and bewilderment. This is the real news now. <laughs> this is real news, not progress, no You're gonna see your children soon. Your kids are gonna see their daddy. Unbelievable after seven months. It's really incredible. The timing is incredible, I will say. So we're very thankful for you guys. What do you make of that? What do you mean? I think there's a lot to be made of that. I, th I think that you being here um, put a pressure. pressure. It did. It and, did. Uh, it brought some things to light. Absolutely. Well, we've been putting lots of calls into the DA, lots of mm -hmm. emails in, trying to find out right. what, why right. you guys are still here, right. showing up at the court hearings. You think that that, for sure, after seven and a half months, that's what tipped. I think the timing was critical. I mean, we had a lot of good people working for us. Yeah. Our company, a lot of great people, but I think you being here at this particular time may have been the deciding factor. This is the paperwork that was filed in court, ending more than seven months of detention. There's no official explanation for why now, just that there was not enough evidence to proceed. But freedom doesn't come quickly. The days drag on as the district attorney sorts out the logistics of returning passports and lifting no-fly restrictions. With his release around the corner, Farewell. <laughs> Alex lives up to a promise he made. That's where they belong. To grant his captives the same reprieve. Getting freedom feels the same for me. On their 240th day of detention, the 12 Canadians are finally free to leave. At Toronto's Pearson Airport, the crew's anxious families await their arrival. Is there any way of describing what it's like to actually hold him and have him home? I just can't believe it's real. I know, I know. That's what I feel. Like I just, it's unreal. I'm walking through here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love this guy so much. So much. It's amazing. Thank you. Bye. The crew knows the high of being home will wear off. There's still so much they have to process, and so Pivot is bringing in trauma counselors to help them readjust. You've been listening to CTV's W5 with Avery Haynes.